takes on the church. We're going to look at four portraits of the New Testament church. There's no passage of Scripture and more exciting than what God does in the early church through, through the Spirit. And we're also going to lay in some family talks because we need more room on this campus, and I'm going to include that some too. But our first passage in Acts 2, 41 through 47, here's the background. In Acts 1, Jesus ascends up to heaven. It's on the east side of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives. He ascends to the heavens. He tells His disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. They go to an upper room. There are 120 believers in the church at this time, and they're praying and praying. And 10 days later, God pours out His Spirit and launches the church. When He pours out His Spirit and launches the church, there are three kind of dramatic signs that happen. There's a sound of a loud rushing wind. There are these tongues tongues of flame that over their heads, and they speak in other languages that people can understand. When that happens, all the commotion, people come running, seeing what's going on. So there's a large crowd there, and Peter stands up and preaches to them about Jesus Christ, whom they had just crucified 40 days earlier, 50 days earlier. When he preaches to them about Christ, the Spirit of God is at work, and 3,000 of those Jewish people come to faith. And then we have this summary of life in the early church. And that's where we are in our passage, this summary, after the 3,000 come to faith. If you'd stand with me, I want to read the passage, and we're in Acts 2, 241 through 47. <coughs> so those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many signs and wonder, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. So here is the electric atmosphere, the carbonated atmosphere, carbonated with the Holy Spirit in the early church. Just uh, hardly anything like it. And in the midst of this first summary of church in Jerusalem, it is the key summary. We have nine characteristics of a church that really define what a church is all about. If you want to know, okay, what traits do you have to have a church? Uh, these are the nine things right here, right at the outset. The first one, baptism, we saw it in verse 41. When we read, so those who received His Word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So how did they come into the kingdom, they received His Word, received Peter's Word about Christ. That's how any of us come into the kingdom. We receive the Word of God, the gospel. We put our trust in Jesus. We say yes to God. And when that happens, those people got baptized as a sign or a symbol that they were joined to Christ. My, my, it, baptism is like my wedding ring. It's, this is a symbol that I'm joined to Gail. I'm married to Gail. Baptism is a physical, tangible symbol that we are joined to Christ, that we are united with Christ. In the New Testament, there are no unbaptized believers. 
That is, every time you have folks uh, c coming to Christ, they get baptized. And uh, just that there are no records of any unbaptized believers. And so that's just a sign, uh, uh, a first step of obedience for the gospel. Jesus himself was baptized in the Jordan River. And he commands us in the Great Commission, you go out and you uh, take the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Just what they do. Last week in our service here, we had a baptism in, our, in this room. We've got a baptistry out there in the courtyard or out there in the yard somewhere. And we normally do our baptisms out there. But this last week, if you were here, we brought them in here. And it was so exciting to see 15, 20 people uh, expressing their faith and obeying the Lord with baptism. If you have never been baptized since trusting Christ as your Savior, let us help you with that. Just the first step of obedience. You can sign the Connect card and we'll help you. Second trait in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They had the leadership, they had godly leaders, apostles. Apostles were the original 12 disciples. Judas is gone, has been replaced by Matthias. And they were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord that God has specifically chosen. They're my special foundation for the church. Now, the very first leaders, the very first church, were called apostles. They were eyewitnesses. But after that, they're not called apostles. They're called elders because, you know, the apostles, you know, they died, died off. And forever after that, the leaders of a church are referred to as elders. Now, we at Wood's Edge, we've got elders that lead the church. That is, the final authority, responsibility for Wood's Edge before Christ, underneath Christ, doesn't belong to me as the senior pastor. It doesn't belong to our paid staff. We don't have popular elections, you know, kind of vote on, you know, who'd be good to do this, but rather we do what the New Testament calls for, both in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3. We have the qualifications for biblical elders, and we prayerfully seek the Lord for these biblical elders. We've got 20 of them here at Wood's Edge. I serve as part of them as a, as a lead pastor, but I also serve under them, under their authority. And uh, you should know that the paid staff here basically has the oversight of 20 folks from our church who are elders. If you move to Dallas next week and you're looking for a new church, find a church where it doesn't have one person running the show or that they have popular votes. Find one that has the biblical governance leadership of elders. So two things so far. They do baptism. They have elders. They have leaders. Three, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, for them, there was the Old Testament was their Bible plus the teachings of Christ that He had been giving them, and they passed that on. For us, it's the Bible, of course, both Old and New Testaments, and this is our authority source. We believe, as Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, when it says, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Jesus Himself, in Matthew 22, 35, who Jesus never wrote a word, and He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now think about that. Never wrote a word, and today his words are everywhere. You know, when we get all the words that come streaming into our life through phone and email and books and magazines, just so many, many words, all of those words are going to pass away. But these words, there are no words like them. These are God's words, and they are the foundation of our life, and they're the foundation of our church. And uh, this is one of the characteristics of the church. The, uh, a, a biblical church does not just kind of lightly touch on scriptures and then give the you know, human opinion. 
but it's rooted and based, founded on the Scriptures. So, third characteristic, the Bible. Fourth, fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. That's kind of a famous Greek word. It's called koinonia, and it simply means sharing. You can share all kinds of things. What it's referring to here is that they shared, first of all, their faith in Christ, but they shared their lives. They shared their church. This was their church home, and they were in it together. They were not a bunch of isolated individuals, but they were together, a body, a community, and that's always God's way. Now, they had large group gathering on Sunday mornings at the temple, and they had small group gatherings throughout the week in the homes. You see that later in verse 46 when we read, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So both the large group, the celebration, the worship, the teaching, and the small groups going deeper with fellowship. We've got both large groups and small groups. Joe Lanzalotti, our adult ministries pastor, who was our host a little bit earlier, talked about our home church groups. That's our bread and butter in which people can together not only share life together, as he was describing, helping one another out, but they study God's Word, they pray together, and together they want to reach out in missionally to neighborhoods and communities. So large group and small group, both of those are together. We have all kinds of small groups, by the way. We've got men's groups, women's groups, single groups, prayer groups. We've got ministry groups. We have all kinds of groups. But the bread and butter are these home church groups that are all over the area. If we could get you connected to a group, please let us. Joe is going to be at the connection room, or you can... Uh, check a box on your uh, connect card and we'll get information to you. The fifth one, communion, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread. Now, that is shorthand in the New Testament for celebrating communion. Uh, The New Testament talks about Jesus inaugurating communion, breaking the bread, then serving the cup, bread standing for the body of Christ crucified, cup standing for the blood of Jesus poured out, both Uh, for our salvation, for our forgiveness. And so a regular part of the worship, the characteristics in the early church was communion. One of the downsides, one of the problems with not being a vital part of a church and regularly uh, being a part of a church is you don't regularly celebrate communion, which is part of God's plan for us, that tangible, physical, almost visceral uh, expression of our worship to God for a Savior on the cross. And we do that regularly. And that's what God's plan is. Now, God did not give us in the New Testament a liturgy or some magic words to say. And rather, He gave us the point of communion, and this is it. He said, do this to remember me by. He said it twice. This is the purpose. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we don't have a liturgy here, but rather we come, we take the bread, we take the cup for one reason, to remember, to worship, to celebrate a Savior who died on the cross for us. We uh, celebrate communion, and that is one of the vital, essential characteristics of the church. Sixth, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, we see elsewhere in the book of Acts that the church was started in a prayer meeting. They were devoting themselves in Acts 1.14 continually to prayer. We see that at every key turn in the book of Acts, they are focused on praying. We see that prayer was really the lifeblood of the early church, that it wasn't just sort of a 
preliminary thing or something they tacked on at the end after they worked hard on their own. But this was how they did ministry and life. They, they prayed because they realized this was where the power was. They realized that this is the privilege of life. If we at Wood's Edge are going to be devoted to prayer, this means that on our own we're all praying as we go through our days, praying without ceasing. And I hope for you that includes unhurried time alone with the Lord in prayer. Certainly it means we pray together when we gather in small groups or in large groups. You know, we begin our Sunday morning services with about 20 minutes of prayer in worship. And that's not just singing. If your heart is engaged, then you're praying. You're, you're singing. You're expressing that love and adoration to the Lord. And it's prayer. And of course, we do that on Wednesday nights. We do that in all kinds of gatherings together, devoted to prayer. Now, we've got a, a, a challenge that the early church didn't have. Uh, they had some severe persecution and at times had some great financial need. Now, I know there are at times financial need among us and lose jobs and things, but compared to most of the world and most of the world history, we're in a very affluent place, and we don't have any hardcore persecution left and right like some places on the globe do. And so it's easy for us at times to not realize how desperate we really are for God to work in our midst and to rely upon our own resources, our own finances, our own uh, organization and study because we're not desperate enough. But the early church, they were desperate. And we've got to realize how desperate we are. If we really want to see God break through in incredible ways, we want to see Houston become a great city of God. If we want to see our top five that we put on those cards, come to Christ. We want to see people heal left and right. We want to see marriages transformed. We are desperate. And we've got to be desperate in our prayer. I love what one man said about prayer. He said, when we rely upon organization, we get what an organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. And all of these have their proper place. But when we rely upon prayer, we get what God can do. And that's the kind of church we want to be. Just like in the early church where we're desperate, where we uh, live, that's our lifeblood. We're calling out together to God in our own personal lives and gathering together. That's the sixth characteristic. Seven, giving. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, that might be mildly disconcerting. If you think about that, you know, what does that mean? Did they live in one big commune? It becomes clear in the rest of the New Testament, the rest of the book of Acts, they did not live in one big commune. They did not, uh, you know, kind of abolish private property. But what it, what it means is this, is that they freely shared with those in need. They brought it to the leaders of the church. The church leaders distributed it. They had the perspective, this wasn't mine, this was God's. All that I have is not mine like a two-year-old, but it's God's. And if God gets a hold of your heart, if you taste the grace of God, you will generously give. You cannot not give. You can know if God has really ambushed you with grace if you generously want to give and you couldn't keep from it because it's our privilege to give back to God because of a blood-stained cross, ultimately. So they were giving. They had giving. That's part of the worship. It wasn't just sentimentality and, 
and uh, talking a good game, but put their money where their mouth was. Number eight, worship, verse 47. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. They were worshipers. They adored God, just like we have in our worship service. They praised Him because uh, that, that's just part of what God's people do. All through the Old Testament, Jesus all through the Gospels, the early church all through the book of Acts, and the letters, uh, once out of one day in seven, the church gathered, or the people of God gathered, to worship the Lord. God gave us the Sabbath, a day of rest and worship to seek Him, to seek Him together with God's people. The New Testament says that was Jesus' custom. He always did that. That's the way God, that's the way God has wired us all. I want, I want to encourage you because the evangelical church in the United States, uh, folks don't go to church uh, three to four Sundays a year, they, they, uh, a month. They go 1.7 times a month. And I would encourage you to do this. Don't wake up on a Sunday morning and decide, am I going to go to church or not today? Rather do this. Pre-decide that if I'm in town, I'm there. Because that's what God's people do. They, they, they worship the Lord. By the way, those of you who have children at home, those children... Uh, that they, they, they watch your life to, uh, to see if God's really important to you. And, and, and they don't look into your heart. They're not God. They probably don't look into your checkbook or your, your visa account to see where you're giving. But this is what they do. The mom and dad automatically go to church on Sundays because Jesus Christ is the most important thing to them. They just kind of grow up with that sort of a mentality. That's just kind of a, of, a, of a boundary marker for them. Yep, that's what my parents do. And children are watching. And I just encourage you, just pre-decide. That's what we will do. So there's worship, weekly worship. And then finally, the ninth and last characteristic, mission, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, can you imagine this? They had 120 believers in the early church. And then on the very first day the church was born, 3,000 more come. I mean, talking about having to make room, they sure did. And then it kept going. Day by day, people were kept getting saved left and right. And it wasn't just, you know, from, you know, coming to church, but as people loved folks in their neighborhoods and shared Christ. That's our mission, too. We've got a top five where we ask God, Lord, give me five people that I can pray for daily to come to know Christ. And we're all doing that. We're all seeking to love people and to reach out to friends, neighbors, co-workers. And we want to see God at work drawing people around us because there are some people around us who are really hungry and open, and we want to be used by God. There's mission. Not just focus on ourselves or even only focus on God, but also on loving the people and bringing God to them. So that's it, church. That's the nine essential core characteristics of any church, including Wood's Edge. That's what we want here in a healthy way. We want baptisms, leaders, godly leaders. We want the Bible, fellowship, communion, prayer, giving, worship, and mission. As we seek to, to reach Houston, to be, become a city of God, then these are the nine characteristics that are going to be part of what God has called us to do. Now, in doing that, and this is where I want to talk about a family problem, we've got a capacity problem, a space problem here at Woods Edge, and I want to explain that and uh, what we're doing about it and, and what the next steps are. First of all, we've got to make room in our hearts for the people that are on God's heart, and then we need to make room on our campus to, for the people that God wants us to reach. We're out of space in three areas. We're out of space in our children's ministry. We're out of space in our Hispanic ministry. And we're out of space 
in our second uh, service, our middle service, and at times in our third service, but particularly in our second service, and we need to make more room for people. <coughs> in the uh, last service, there were some people that came in uh, uh, toward the late, and they were just kind of standing against the back there. There are probably several of them there. Now, if you come in and, and you've been at Wood's Edge, you, you know it here, you feel comfortable here, you, you think the pastor is not too weird here, and, and you're pretty comfortable, then that's okay for you. You can come in, and if it looks a little full, you'll make your way to a, a, a place. But if you're new here, you're not sure this place is safe, you're not sure if those people are normal, then, um, you know, if it's too crowded, or if you have to wait 20 minutes in the parking lot to get out, you know, it's just going to be harder for you to come back. We want to remove every barrier we can for the gospel. We don't want the lack of bricks and mortar and space and concrete to keep anybody, uh, for reach, us reaching anybody. We could care less about buildings per se, but every single person in this area matters to God, and God wants us to reach a bunch of them. He's given us an incredible piece of property. He gave us 67 acres here for $2.2 million back in 2006 or 7. Wasn't hardly anything out here, and it's an incredible uh, uh, gift to, to get this, and we want to maximize it because this is a fast-growing area. People are pouring in all up and down Gosling and Kirkendall and all in between apartment complexes and houses are going up, and we want to reach folks that God's bringing. Some folks ask me, well, Jeff, why don't y'all just plant other churches? Well, we do, and we will, but this is what happens in the United States. When there's a healthy, growing church in, a, in an area that continues growing with population, they send off some folks to plant a church, and then some more people come, and it kind of fills back up. Last several years, we planted a church in Wood Forest, one in Bender's Landing. Uh, the one in Wood Forest had 500 people a couple of weeks ago at Easter, and the one in Bender's Landing had 700 people a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that's thrilling, but there's also tons of people moving in closer to us who we could reach. And every single one of those folks, every believer matters to God, who needs to hear the grace of God and, and the love of God and experience the community. Every lost person matters to God. And that's our heart. We want to make room in our heart, and then we want to make room on this campus to reach those folks. Uh, Rhonda Howe's uh, been a friend of Gail's and mine a long time, and she, she told this story, she confessed this story, that uh, a few months ago when we were first talking about this as elders, about expanding, she said she was kind of fussing at the Lord. That, uh, you know, Wood's Edge is big enough, we don't need to, I don't, I don't even like big churches, and a little late for that, but, you know, just uh, uh, don't want Wood's Edge to get bigger. And she said that in her prayer time, she felt the Lord said to her, well, Rhonda, don't you want this for you? So yeah, I, I love going there. I said, well, don't you want this for your family? Yeah, I want that for my family. Don't you want to invite your friends? I said, yeah, I, I invite my friends. And she says, well, well, why don't you care about those others that I'm bringing? And Rhonda said she saw God's heart in the most tender way, that there are others out there just like you and me. We made room for you, and together we want to make room for the other people that God is bringing. And if God has touched your heart through the ministries of Wood's Edge. Would you join arms with us to help us uh, reach out to touch the hearts of others that God's going to be bringing in the coming years? You know, in many ways, many of us, we stand on the shoulders of those who went before us, who kind of built this campus, who gave generously and sacrificially. And our children, our grandchildren, uh, a lot of new people are going to be moving to this area, and they'll stand on your shoulders and my shoulders. This is our time. This is our opportunity. This is our watch. We have the opportunity to give generously to make room for more people. This is specifically what we're going to do. We're going to build two children's modules out there in those fields past the baptism. 
We need more children's space by the fall. So at least one of those will be up by the fall. The second one probably during the fall. Right back there behind me where we got those portables, we're building a larger Hispanic ministry building. They've been out of room for several years. When the flood took out several of our portables, one of them we could not rebuild, and so we just tore it down, and we're building it back twice as big for the Hispanic ministry. They desperately need that, all the Hispanics in this area. A lot of those Hispanic folks, they worship here with us. English is fine for them, but a lot of them, they want to worship in their heart language, and that's great. We want to make room for them. The third thing, really the bigger thing, in terms of space, is going to be a second worship service venue that's going to be out that way. Now, if you look at the uh, site drawing, the white buildings are already there, except uh, in the far left, that bigger one is the Hispanic building that's uh, not quite done yet, be done in June. But um, the red buildings are the new ones, those two middle-sized ones there. Those are the two children's modular buildings, kind of look a little bit portable. They're not portable, uh, that are coming up. Uh, just uh, north of that one, that bigger red building is going to be the next worship service venue. And then you can see there's a covered walkway running between those buildings. So if it's raining or something, uh, you know, you won't get so wet. We wish it was humidity-free, but it's not going to be that. It's just a covered walkway. And then on the north side, the far side of that larger red building, that pink space, that's going to be a parking lot because we need more, more parking. You might can see behind that on the other side, there's a, a road now going on on that side. And there's going to be a ring road around our campus to help ingress and egress. We're going to widen the, the entrances and the exits to Woods Edge so it's not so uh, hard to get in and out of our campus at the prime times. We're going to do some other infrastructure things, including some flood control stuff that's going to help us. And all of that together is going to cost $7.5 million. Because of all of your generous giving over the years, uh, just for future building expansion stuff, we already have $2.5 million, so we only need $5 million. We need $5 million for it. The worship center, going back to that second worship venue, I think we've got a slide of something, what it's going to look like. It's going to be out in this uh, field. Right now, there's an outdoor basketball pavilion out there, and we're going to uh, double the concrete footprint and turn it into a, a second worship venue. It's, a, it's what I'm told is a steel-structured building, which is pretty inexpensive, which looks nice enough. And, and it's good, a uh, lot of value uh, for, per seat in there. It'll hold about 1,000. This holds about 1,200, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to go, when we get that built out, we're going to go to services at 9 and 11 concurrent at both places. There'll be live worship in both places. There'll be live hosting in both places. Everything will be live except whoever's preaching will be live at one place, sometimes this one, sometimes that one, and will be live streamed on the other one. Now, some folks, you know, that, that's a little disconcerting, to the live stream, but this is what's happened. If you've been here for the last 6 to 12 months, I forget how long we did it, but we used to have one big screen right up here. You guys remember that, some of you? And, and, and when I was speaking and preaching, uh, I thought all of you guys were looking at me and giving me good eye contact, but you weren't. You were looking right over my head at that screen because I was a lot bigger up there. And then, for various reasons, we thought the, the, it would be easier to see if we put the screens on the sides, and I realized you guys weren't looking at me at all. Because now, this side of the room, I see your left ear as you're looking up there. And this side of the room, I see your right ear as you're looking up there. A handful of you right down here, give me a little eye contact. Outside that, I see a lot of ears. And, uh, and you know, I don't blame you. 
when I'm even sitting on the front row, I'm looking to the sides because your person's bigger. You can see them better. It doesn't really matter if I'm going to be in this room or that room. I'm going to be on the campus here speaking at some of the screens. Uh, you're going to probably be looking at the screen mostly anyway. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go to 9 and 11 a.m. Now, right now, we've got three services on Sunday morning. And uh, that's wearing me out a bit. I need to go back to two services. Also, uh, it's too hard to, to reach you guys, uh, reach folks around here at 8.15 or Saturday night or Sunday night. You can reach 150 on a Saturday night, a church our size, or maybe 150 on a Sunday night. For a Sunday morning early, you can reach three or 400. But to have a full room like this, it better be somewhere around 9 a.m. and somewhere around 11 a.m. Because you guys don't want to go at 8.15, do you? And uh, I don't blame you. Um, so we're going to go back to two concurrent services, and we need the space. And we're going to be able to reach more people for Christ. And do you understand? Is it in your heart crystal clear? Not about buildings at all. It is about people. It's just tools to reach people, precious people who need to hear God's Word, who need to have a place where they can experience the love and the, and, and the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's what this is about. We'll do no debt, just like we're doing now and have done since 2013. We'll build as we've got cash. Already have $2.5 million. That's why we've already started building some things. And as the cash comes in for the big worship service venue, then we'll build that. I wish we could have it next week so we go back to two services and have more space. But it'll take at least a year. And we've, we've asked folks to be giving over the next eight months. Normally, churches do this over two or three years. And if you need two or three years uh, to give what God has put on your heart, then great. We'll love it in two or three years. But if it works out for you over the next eight months, that would be super. Um, let me see. What we need is every single one of us praying, Lord, please guide us on every step of this. This is your money. This is your campus. This is your church. We need, I, I want to ask you if you'd be praying about your own personal part. Lord God, what part would you have me play? I certainly don't want you to feel pressured by me, but, but led by God. Uh, God has given us all resources. Uh, some of us, you know, it's in income. Uh, some of you are out of work, and, you know, there's not much income right now. You know, and for you, it might be giving up uh, Starbucks a week. Uh, just about all of us have some kind of stored resources, whether or not that's savings, stock, property, possessions, or something like that. So some of it might be out of past resources that God has given you. But just simply... Over the next few weeks, seek the Lord and ask Him, Lord, what's my part? Now, in closing, if you pull out that red little fold-over card that's in your seat or behind your seat and pull that out, if you look on the back of it, there's a table of giving. And those are the sorts of gifts that uh, we're asking God uh, to bring in. And if God is, puts one of those folks on your heart, that, uh, one of those lines that, hey, uh, this is what I want you to do for the kingdom, then you obey the Lord. Uh, if you'll take to the, to the other side and go in the middle, the, the bottom right is a place for, you know, giving on future income over the next eight months, so much per month, or a place giving on past resources that God has already given you, stored resources in your possession. I uh, don't need to fill out that card today, but if you take it as a prayer prompt and over the next several weeks, and then by May 6th and the fourth Sunday from now, if you would uh, cut, bring that and put that. You know, this is our time. This is our opportunity. Uh, if you're a part of Woods Edge, you're an active part, not just a spectator, but you pray, you serve, you give, you, you love, you reach out, if you're a part of it, then every person Woods Edge reaches, every child in our student ministries, about 1,000 kids a week, every person we reach in Malawi, all over the world that we reach, every person that we help in Houston, 
You've got a stake in that, and God knows that. You've got a part in it. And, and, and it's exciting to be part of a church that God's hand is on and He's using us. And, and we just want to make room for the people that God's going to be sending to us in the coming 10, 15 years. So let's stand if we could, and let's pray that God would guide us. Lord, thank you for this generous people here at Woods Edge. They generously give because they love you. And Lord, would you please guide us, every one of us, uh, just what's our part, Lord God? What, what would you have us do to, to give generously back to you for kingdom purposes? Lord God, I pray that you'd be honored and pleased. In Christ's name, amen. Well, church, we're going to celebrate one of those nine characteristics now. In communion, that's one of the essential core characteristics of a church, and we celebrate it weekly. Early church celebrates it weekly, and uh, though it's not a law, we just think it's a good practice to remind ourselves of the cross. Remember, no liturgy, no magic words to say, but rather it's your heart. You take the bread, you take the cup, and you pause in your heart. Lord, thank you for a Savior. Thank you for the cross. Lord bless you.